Welcome, everybody, to an exciting day. Uh, It's Thursday, and the 15th day of February. I haven't even looked out the window yet to know what is outside. Uh, I have no idea um, whether we have any snow out there or not. Haven't been worried about it. I got up reading at 3.30, and... uh, preparing for what is called an ordination council. And what an ordination council is, is when a pastor sits with a group of other uh, ordained pastors and, and others as well, people from their church, and is kind of scrutinized on their theology. Uh, they have written a report. I was up reading a report this morning, and uh, we'll be going over to Waterville uh, to participate as a council member, uh, one who would be able to ask questions and give 
you know, verify, yeah, this person seems to be theologically and personally fit for their role in ministry. Uh, today, uh, we are interviewing Pastor Brent Small of Faith Evangelical Free Church over in uh, in Waterville. Uh, that's the, the one that's in the old movie theater, in case you're wondering. And uh, just, I'm looking forward to spending that the day uh, from 9 till oh, 1, 2 o'clock over there and uh, do the interview as well as have, uh, have a few uh, meaningful conversations relevant to... Uh, Disciple making and education, uh, ministry preparation here in the state of Maine. But that's not why you're listening. You're listening for the teaching of Scripture. And today, I want to pick up on on a verse uh, that we left off with yesterday here in Luke chapter ten. Give brief commentary on the verse, uh, and then move us further into uh, further into the text. It says, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman called out, "Blessed." is the mother who gave you birth and who nursed you. Uh, And he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Uh, We concluded on this, the idea of being blessed yesterday, and the blessing that we experience is a result of hearing God's word and doing what it tells us to do. Uh, The idea of obeying it is, okay, what's it telling us to do? What's it it telling us to do in terms of personal purity? What's it telling us to do in terms of disciple-making activity? What is it telling us to do uh, in terms of relationships with other people? Uh, What is it telling us to do in relationship to God? What is it telling us to do in relationship to yieldedness to God and to spiritual development and those things? We're happy when we look at God's word, know what it says, and put into practice what it says. So, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Uh, is that us? Are, are we people who are saying, Lord, what do you want? Uh, I believe that the most important question we can teach a high schooler is not, what do you want to do with your life? But what does God want me to do with my life? I mean, I think that's the most important question. I think it's the most important question. For a person going into retirement years, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life in my retirement? So I've hit, you know, high school going into college or career, or I've hit coming out of career going into retirement. And then every place in between as well. Lord, what do you want me to do? There's the hearing of the Word of God, and there are things that the Word of God has simply told us that we need to do. And the question is, do we do those things? I mean, sometimes people want, well, God, show me your will. Well, we're... Asking God to show us his will in terms of a particular decision, a particular direction of life, while ignoring the things that he's already written to us that we need to do. So the starting point for us is, is the word of God, and the word of God gives us direction and things that we're supposed to do. Put those things into practice that are clearly written in the scriptures, and then after that point, we can begin to expect God to give us direction. There are a lot of people who who want to ignore the word of God. Uh, yeah, they're Christians, but you know they're not concerned about putting into practice the things that Jesus has already clearly told us to do, yet they're wanting Jesus to give them some profound direction for their life. It begins with obedience. Blessed are those, let me put the verse back up there, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. There's an old hymn that talks about Something along those lines. Remember that hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to 
trust and obey. And, and the idea of trust as well, trusting God for what he will do in our lives as a result of uh, us taking those steps. Now, let's continue in the text and see further what Jesus has to say. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now, it's interesting Jesus says this, uh, and the reason he says this is he's already given a bunch of signs. I mean, he's already done a bunch of things. Uh, he has healed people. He's cast out demons. He has taught with great authority. Uh, he has done miracles of, of feeding of multitudes of people with, with a, a few fish and a few uh, loaves of bread. And loaves were small folks in those days. Uh, he's done all these things. He's already given them signs, and yet they don't want to listen to what he has to say. So that's where he says, this is a wicked generation. I have already done all this for you. And and, and uh, to a certain measure, there's some of culture that is still that way today. God has already done all these things. He's already given all this evidence. He's already given uh, all, all these signs. He's, he's given the historical record of Scripture He's given the history of the of the church of over two thousand years and and global in scope, never debunked, never dethroned, never uh, demystified. Always, always maintained as the truth of God, and yet people want something else. And Jesus says, "There's no other sign they'll be given." So, speaking to them, he's saying, uh, "You want a sign? Well, here's the sign. No other sign." Uh, will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now, what is he talking about with the sign of Jonah? What he's referencing with the sign of Jonah is the idea of of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, some get all worked up over, well, three literal days, three full days. No, he, he died on a Friday uh, and was buried on a Friday. He was in the tomb the entirety of a Saturday and was raised the third day, three parts of three days. Uh, so there's Friday night, there's Saturday night, and, and two nights uh, in, in death, but three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, it, it's not hard math to do, yet some people get so worked up over, well, it doesn't, it's not three full days. Well, nowhere does it say it has to be three full days. He was crucified one day, and uh, three days later, or on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, was raised from the dead. Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish. Was it full days? Were they 72 hours? Was it 70 hours? If it's, if it's not 72 hours, does it mean it doesn't qualify? No. I mean, it, 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 it's parts of three days, at least, that Jonah was in the fish, and then he was vomited up on the on the beach, because God was going to have his will with Jonah and do his will through Jonah. So it says this, as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The resurrection, a sign, a guarantee uh, of the veracity, the truthfulness of his own claims. So, he has done all these miraculous things among the people that he ministered to, and on top of those claims, not only that, now it's they watched him die. They watched the 
the sword. They, they will watch the sword, given the text of Scripture we're in. This hasn't happened yet. Uh, this, the, the, not the sword, but the spear will, will pierce his side, and the blood and water will flow, indicator that you know the, the cavity surrounding the heart has filled with water, and uh, therefore he is pronounced as dead, buried, put in a cold stone tomb, and three days later rises again. That was the sign. He continues and says this, The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends, and so we're talking the queen of Sheba here, back in the days of Solomon, she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Those who are wise will be ones who will listen who will understand that one greater than Solomon is here and and will take to heart the things that he has to say. So not only does she understand, does she listen, but then he goes on in verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now one greater than Jonah is here, yet they don't repent. And, and so we have all of the scriptures, we have all the prophets, we have all the history of the Jewish people, we have all the history of the church, and yet today if people refuse to want to listen, uh, they'll, they'll stand condemned. In fact, earlier we read how even Tyre and Sidon, or Sodom and Gomorrah would be another way of putting it, uh, would it receive greater mercy and greater compassion than the people in the days of Jesus or people in our own very days when we don't listen to the things that Jesus has to say? That is culture. Culture will be condemned when it does not respond and repent uh, in the name of Jesus. That's the call. And so... Jesus makes it clear that the men of Nineveh will stand at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. I mean, because why? Nineveh heard the message and Nineveh repented. They turned. They repented of their ways. They they repented of their denial of God and turned to God uh, in repentance. uh, And God brought uh, healing to them. God brought restoration to them. God spared them from the condemnation, the coming wrath that was about to be poured out on them. So don't don't be ones who don't listen. This would be a message to culture, but we take it to heart as well and make sure that we listen. Then he goes on and continues. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden. It would be like me turning on a, a lamp or a candle and taking it into the the uh, linen closet in my bathroom and putting it in there. It does no good in the linen closet. The linens don't need to see. The, the, the medifications in my linen closet don't need to see uh, in the closet. No. Why, why do we light lamps? We light lamps. We, we, we bring light to to help us to see things. Uh, we, we usually will put lamps up on a pedestal, like you think street lamps are an example. No, we don't hide them. The purpose is to bring light. So he says no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. That's what we need to do. We need to put our light out there for the world to see. He says your eye is the lamp of your body. 
When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body is full of darkness. What is he getting at there? The idea of being able to see truth. When we see the truth, we become full of light. But when we can't see the truth or we reject the truth or we turn away from the truth, then we can't see the light and we become full of darkness. To a certain measure, it's a choice. It's a choice. Do we, do we light the lamp to, to grow in knowledge uh, or, do we, uh, or do we do something else? Do, do we hide the light? I mean, there, there's, there's the light of God's word that lights our path. Uh, there, there's the light of fellowship and, and accountability with brothers and sisters. Uh, no, we, we need to not hide the light. We need to put the light where it can be seen. We need to feed the light uh, so that our body can be full of light. It says in verse 36, Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Let the light of God's truth shine on you. Let it reveal areas where we need to make adjustments. Let it reveal areas where we need to bring repentance. May it reveal areas where where we need to become more like Christ. May it reveal areas where we need to let go of things. Sometimes we need to let go of things in our lives so the light might shine. Sometimes we hold on to things and and our light cannot shine. So let the light in you be bright. Let the light of God's word brightly illuminate your own soul so that your whole body, your whole life, your whole self can be full of light. Now he goes on from there and, and, and pronounces these woes, woes to Pharisees and lawyers. He says, when Jesus finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Now, in our day, we, we, we sometimes are watching people. Did they, did they use hand sanitizer? Did they go wash their hands? I, mean, I, I was thinking about this the other night. Uh, we had some company in our home. and I don't know. I had done a few things. Nothing that was that dirty. But I, 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 I was thinking, okay, this person observing whether I petted the dog might be what was going on. I don't remember exactly what it was. But I think this person observing whether I washed, because they came in, they petted our dogs, they washed their hands before they ate. Uh, and I thought, oh, you know what, maybe I should go wash my hands because they might be offended if I don't wash my hands after having petted the dogs. You know, my dogs lick my face. Uh, my dogs sleep on our bed. So I, I'm not thinking about those things, but but notice what it says. The Pharisee, noticing that Jesus not first washed his hand before the meal, was surprised. And he said, Lord, now then, you Pharisee. And then the Lord said to him, now maybe the guy said, hey, you didn't wash your hands. What's up with that, Jesus? You know, you're going to be ceremonially unclean if you haven't washed your hands. You shouldn't touch the food unless you've washed because, I mean, it's a holiness factor. You know, for us, we'd say, well, it's a cleanliness factor. For them, it was a cleanliness factor and a a ceremonial, uh, a ceremonial aspect of cleanliness, therefore requiring them to wash their hands. You know, not just rub their hands under, uh, under the, 
the sink to get their hands, but to rub their hands enough that they're going, you know, up up their arms. That is how proper washing with different different uh, little pitchers of water. So there's the washing water and there's the rinsing water. Uh, and there, there's the dry, there's a whole procedure that was a part of this. And Jesus didn't follow the procedure and they were surprised by this. And Jesus is thinking, this is ceremonial, you know, what's the big deal? And, uh, but they're wanting to, to get after him about this. So Jesus responds and says, now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of green and wickedness. Uh, you're, you're. You're wanting to look one way on the outside, but on the inside, doesn't matter what you're like on the inside. He says to them, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. It's like us, we go to church and we have our devotions and and we give our tithes and things like that, but when we neglect these issues, and this is one of the kind of the fulcrum issues in, in uh, contemporary Christianity in America, because uh, we're so reactionary. We don't want to do social justice because, you know, we're, we're going to get uh, uh, convoluted and, and we're we're going to be confused with people on the left. Well, the fact of the matter is some of the things that the people on the left do are the very things that Jesus would want all of us to do. It's a fact of the matter. And yet those on the right respond. And I, I've seen it. Well, we just need to preach the gospel and not be worried about meeting people's needs. I I want you to go back and reckon that with the scriptures. It's both. We must do both. We must preserve justice. We must preserve mercy and compassion and merciful and compassionate deeds and actions to other people is a part of our faith. I think that those, especially Baptistic uh, backgrounds uh, or maybe even Wesleyan type backgrounds, I was consulting with a Wesleyan type church yesterday, uh, need to need to understand we, we have a responsibility in society. We have a, a responsibility in culture. And, and Jesus chides the Pharisees because they neglect justice. They neglect the love of God and the love of God, not just the love of God for themselves, but the love of God demonstrated to other people. He says, you should have practiced the latter Without leaving the former undone, we need to do both. We need to be people of the book. We need to be people of, of, of holiness. We need to be people of, uh, of becoming like Christ in our own character. But we must also be people who figure out, and churches need to figure out, how do we also demonstrate mercy and compassion and justice in culture? What is our responsibility? So he says, Woe, verse 42, woe to you Pharisees, because you you do all these religious things, but yet you neglect mercy and compassion. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. In other words, you, let me move this up on the screen. In, in other words, you like to uh, get the praise of men, 
you like the the outward recognition of men. Uh, you want people to to acknowledge you. It's kind of like, you know, it, and I've wrestled with this now for a few years. You know, I, I have doctor in front of my name. I've earned it. Yes, it's true. Or PhD after my name. But, you know, in, in keeping with this, it would make more sense that I'm just Jim. You know what I'm saying? Let people be surprised. Oh, wait a minute. He's a doctor. Well, okay. You know, don't, and some of us demand, you will call me the Reverend Doctor or the Doctor Reverend or you know, that that is my title, Reverend Doctor Pastor, Mr. Jim. No. Uh don't don't demand the higher place. You don't come in and say, Well, because I've I, I have such and such status, I deserve the better seat. No. Take the background. Uh, don't don't demand prominence prominence. Be humble is what Jesus is saying. Woe to you because you Love the most important seats. You know, I deserve to fly first class. I've never flown first class. I don't request first class. I don't even like to pay for uh, an upgraded seat with a little bit more leg room. I just don't like to do it. I, I could do it. A, I don't like to spend the money. I we, I have some people who support uh, what we do, and I, I don't want to use the money given for you know, those types of things. Uh, I just don't. Um, I, I, I feel a, a sense of responsibility and uh, um, in that way. And uh, not to draw attention to self. He goes on with his woe, says, Woe, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. That's That's a little bit more of a interesting statement you're like unmarked graves i mean you you don't even know that, that, that people bypass you because of the way you are so one of the teachers in, in the law one of the experts in the law, i answered him teacher when you say these things you insult us also and he's like uh no duh uh, jesus replied and you experts in the law woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. It's kind of like the leader who says, you guys go do this, but I'll never do that. A, a wise leader will say, I, I'm willing to do whatever I'm asking somebody else to do. I'm willing to throw myself in the fray. I'm willing to uh, I'm, I'm willing to carry these burdens myself. I'm not going to. In other words, they weren't practicing what they were preaching. You guys go do this, but I'm not going to worry about myself. And that, that's exactly what it's saying. Don't be one who preaches one thing to some people uh, and yet have a complete different practice yourself. Practice what you preach and don't weigh people down with burdens that they can't bury, uh, they can't carry, uh, that they can't bear. That was a, a, bear, a bury was a combination of carry and bear. Uh, you yourselves not left one finger to help them. He continues on in the woes. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets. And what is your, it was your father's forefathers who killed them. I was saying, uh, the, uh, the, the prophets, uh, let's honor the prophets. Let's honor Moses. Let's honor Elijah. Let's honor Isaiah. Let's honor Jeremiah. Let's honor Daniel. Let's honor. And yet what Jesus says, you want to honor them, but your own forefathers, 
made sure to see the demise of these prophets. They didn't listen to them. They did not take into account the message that they were given. So Jesus pronounces all of these woes. So he says, you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute, which is exactly what was about to happen. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because... Uh, now the greatest of prophets, and, and more than a prophet, much, much more than a prophet, but the greatest of prophets, Jesus, is here, and they will kill him too. And because you will kill this greatest of prophets, because you will kill the one that all the other prophets were pointing to, you will be exacted the most severe of judgments. Verse 51. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Another woe he gives, woe to you experts in law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You don't, you don't want people to know. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. What's the key of knowledge? The wisdom. The wisdom that God gives. The key of knowledge is the word of God. The, the key of we want to say there's some extra special secret. Well, no, Jesus is the the mystery fulfilled to us, and and so now in knowing Jesus, we have the answer. Let me finish out these last few verses. I just looked at the clock and realized that we are at six thirty one. Verses fifty three and fifty four. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Notice when it says, when he left there, they began to oppose him fiercely after he already left. They didn't oppose him to his face. They had all kinds of questions, and it says they were waiting to catch him in something he might say. They were setting a trap for him. And we see people in our day today wanting to, well, if the Lord's so good, how come? Well, they're wanting to set a trap. They're, they're wanting to find fault with Jesus and therefore not turn to him. And, and they will be the ones, if they do not repent, they will be the ones in the end whose, whose fate and whose judgment will be worse than that of Sidon and Tyre, worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be surpassed by the Queen of Sheba. They'll be surpassed by the Ninevites, all of whom gave way to the wisdom of Solomon and and gave way to repentance in faith to the preaching of the message that Jonah would bring. May we not be those people. May Jesus not pronounce woes to us, but may he pronounce yeses to us. Keep going, my child. Keep going. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to live for you in a pursuit of holiness, but not just personal holiness that uh, where we lift ourselves up and push others down, but the type of holiness that also demonstrates mercy, compassion, justice, and righteousness to those around us. Lord, help us to be like Jesus on an ever, in an ever-increasing fashion, more and more like you in our internal character and our external conduct, that we might be, as Jesus has illuminated here, 
the light of the world, the light of Jesus to those around us. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have a great day. See you tomorrow.